Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. From our financial life, to our relationships, to our kids, to our health, we're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family. And in every episode, we will consider the research and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. And we'll ask you to share your breadwinning story. Each week, I'm joined by Jennifer Owens. She writes about working, wellness, and women and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And I'm joined by Raquel Ellison. She is an executive coach and management consultant who works with companies big and small to design workplace policies that work for all employees. Well, here's Mm. a workplace policy. Uh, There have been a lot of stories this week in my world, in the publishing world, about uh, revealing toxic workplaces. Um, It's been the two big stories uh, this week as we, as people get to hear this, were... um, Refinery29, uh, I think the headline I saw was racial aggression and uh, Bon Appetit not paying their black employees to be on videos as a, and the white employees got paid. At, you know, these are all, all the stories that were coming out and it's amazing. And as someone in this field, I think, wow, uh, good for you for coming out. Mm. And then I think... And and often it's it's um, it takes a while for these stories to come out because it's terrifying to tell these stories when you're in them, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's terrifying. I mean, I think I think we are seeing this 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 switch now. I mean, those are two examples of really atrocious stories that came out. What we've had. There have been so many stories about toxic work culture that have come out recently. Um, and I think I just wonder, you know, is it this time of just tremendous upheaval that kind of makes the stakes of speaking up in some ways less relevant to us? Because we're actually, as workers, we're 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 pretty afraid of of speaking. I mean of I know I am. Of yeah. Um so, I, I completely agree. I completely agree that um, you can, it's, it's tangible, the fear you feel when you see something wrong and it does. And I, and and my caveat is when it's not my team, like if it's happening across the way, like if you come at my team uh, for something that's wrong um, and, and even something that's right, you know, I always say, tell me about it. Uh, You know, I tell me what the problem is and then I will speak to my team and we'll, we'll make it right. But it, but you know, something wrong that you're saying, oh, I'm the first to step up. I you know, the whole mama bear kind of thing like that. But if it's something across the way, another department, I Mm -hmm. I even get quiet when I talk about it. It's over there. (laughs) Like, um, it's, I, it, it, the fear is more, it keeps me quiet sometimes, you know? Well, I mean, there's, there's a, there's an article, um, Psychosomatic Medicine, I think was the name of the journal. Um, in 2012, this woman, Naomi Eisenberger found, found an, her article is called the Neural Basis, Basis, Basis of Social pain, evidence for shared representation with physical pain. So let me just boil it all down. The way we've developed, um, you know, the way we develop cognitively, basically what she's saying is the social attachment system may have co-opted the pain system. In other words, it's physically painful for us to face social rejection or or put ourselves in 
in positions of great risk to us, you know, socially. Wow. It's it's physically, it. physically painful. Um twice somehow. It's double yeah. physically <laughs> painful. Well, and you feel it. You feel it when you know, you can like you start breathing shallowly. Like if you're in the you know, like right. the conference room with everyone and you're like, oh, you know, that's not right. Right. That's not right. You know, yeah. and uh, yeah. Yep. No, it's it's this moment. Um I mean I think that you know, we, we were hearing stories about one moment that happened that was just absolutely horrific where people felt they need to, the, needed to step up. We're also looking at patterns um, of behavior that, you know, that people were quiet about because they felt they perceived so much risk. And, and one of, there's, um, there is, there are a bunch of studies on this. Um, and there's one woman, uh, Mona Weiss, who looked at, in 2014, she looked at um, this question of employee voice, which is um, is a term used in organizational psychology about workers speaking up when they see something that troubles them. Um, and it could be related to their individual circumstances or something that has happened to them, but, but more broadly in employee voice, it's talking about when they see something they know is not Right. Right. So they, 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 something is wrong on the job that they know needs to be corrected. It could be, you know, in terms of the work culture, it could be, you know, decisions that are made. So the way that she chose to look at this, she went into a hospital. Um, she enlisted 27 physicians and 27 nurses to pair up. This is 2014 and execute three mock surgeries on a high tech lifelike dummy. In two oh. surgeries, the nurses and physicians had to react only to patient complications, which a third-party anesthesiologist controlled in a separate room. In the third surgery, a surgeon who knew the premise of the study purposely made fatal errors to see whether they would prompt action from physicians and nurses. Um, and it was totally, it was a good story. Everyone raised their hand, <laughs> made it all good, and we lived happily ever after. Oh, yes. That's what happened. No, they actually filmed it. I mean, I can't imagine. They filmed it. Um, and the resulting data showed that 50% of the nurses stayed quiet in each scenario, while many of the physicians yeah. um, who had higher status in, in the hospital tended to speak their mind. So it's, it's interesting, you know, it, it, what was also well, interesting was that- it's the, terrifying. For one. Oh no, it's but, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I just want to make sure that this point is clear. Weiss Weiss wanted, you know, in in her interviews about this, she said, you know, just to be clear, everybody knew it was a dummy. Like it wasn't that right. Like, it right. was a simulation okay. with a patient mannequin, and they still couldn't speak up. Yep. Right. So, and then you know this this ties to to a bunch of stats around how how not speaking up. Um, in a toxic culture and a workplace where, you know, you disagree with, with how things are being handled can, can have such grave impact. You know, in the U.S. alone, medical errors involving miscommunication led to the deaths of about 400,000 people annually. Um, federal agencies have fined banks more than $250 billion for unethical behavior that somebody could have spoken up about. Um and there's been a, a gazillion meetings where I've been in personally yeah. and said, uh, you know, hold the, as my husband says, hold the phone. Right. And I hand the phone to me. <laughs> um, right. So, yes. Um, 
Oh my goodness. You know, I, I often will wander into the fire because uh, it's the kind of stuff always makes me think of my own behavior. I will wander into the fire if there is, if I'm the second person and, and we'll still get you in trouble and it's still scary, but someone will say this behavior is wrong, you know, mm-hmm. like in a group meeting or a group, or a small group, just a leadership, that sort of thing. And there'll be this awkward pause. And if I agree with it, I, I hate to leave someone hanging. I just, you know, and I often think, why? Why do I have to be the one? Why couldn't I leave that person hanging? But I'm okay with being the second person sometimes, you know. I, I think it's a pain lessening thing. I think that makes sense. I think that, you know, I think that, you know, if you, exactly, the pain lessening thing, right? You know the pain's going to be really acute if you're the first to stand up. Um, but if you're sort of echoing something that's already been put out there, um, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit less painful for you for anyone to do that. Um, but yeah, well, because I mean, I've, I've been yelled at in meetings. I mean, let, let's like, it's, it has, I've had, I've been in like meetings where we're all going to learn how to get along better kind of thing. Like there'll be some facilitator and I'll say, I, I've had this happen more than once that I will say something and then they go, well, that's not right. And you're like, you're wrong. And, and it's, it stings. It completely stings. Yeah. And I uh, think, well, then why am I going to do this again? Right. You know, why that? And I, I maybe, I don't know if it's a generational thing. It, it's certainly, this whole question is a status thing. Because if if you are talking about it, like anyone, and I, I am repeating myself, but on my team, and you're saying something inappropriate, oh, I don't, you know, I, the gloves come off, man. You, no, you know, back off. And I will be very defensive those are my people mm-hmm. that that kind of thing that and there's something the status relationship is somehow different there but if it's if there's a status difference for somebody else's team i don't know it's like etiquette like you don't like peer to peer and all those like relationship things of like who's on has what power what level right yeah no i mean there's a lot there's a lot to explore there and in the work that that i've been involved with or you know content that I've seen to to and best practices in the workplace that that have come up I mean I think again we were talking at a very about a very different time in our culture and history where yes. you know the urgency just wasn't as high but but the idea that when you have a very hierarchical culture um you know where there's just this reverence for you know, the way the that boss, authority right? is, yeah, the way that authority is perceived, the way the authority is um, not enforced, but enabled, like how, you know, what is it? How it's well, doled out, you know, and, and how it's like backed up, like, you know, because um, I have you worked at a place where, uh, yeah, that that guy or that lady, uh, yeah, we know she's a handful, um, but we make these excuses for her because... And, and right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, in some, yeah, in some contexts, it's hard because the whole, you know, the whole system is built around forgiving that piece, you know, forgive like allowing that person to get away with it, or it's a very central piece. Um, And so, you know, one of the questions that I've looked at with organizations is how do you how do you empower people to feel like they can speak up 
-hmm. It's not just like how to give everybody individual coaching about how to speak up, but it's this idea of like really helping them explore, you know, what does it mean to speak up? How do you approach speaking up as an individual? And then as a culture, like how can you create more habits, more rules that allow people to come forward more easily as opposed to, you know, as opposed to like, no, this is just the way it is. And you will, you will question it if you say it's okay to question it. Um, And there's the wild west. It's the wild west when you bring it up often, like if you don't have these mechanisms, I guess, or, or a support for it often when you're bringing up whatever the issue is, um, you're, you're, it's like you're hacking your way through the jungle of figuring out, well, who do I tell? How do I tell it? Um, when do I tell it? Uh, there's, I don't know that I've ever, if I did work someplace that had mechanisms in place, they were not communicated enough that I knew them. So, right. Right. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. I think we're getting clearer about, you know, a lot of organizations are getting or realizing that they need to have protocols in place to be able to, to, you know, to speak up um, or to enable people to speak up. But right. there was an interesting one of the back to our friend Mona Weiss, what she um, one of the things that inspired her to do this study was she also knew that um, there was this culture among airline pilots, there's an emergency protocol called the two challenge rule. Oh no, Mona. Mona, no, no, no. Say good this time. Oh, Mona, well done. Why does she always go into these these really scary professions? But yes. I mean, I think that's where it matters most, maybe her I point. Know. But I mean it matters everywhere. So but the there's a protocol among pilots in the military called the two challenge rule. Um and it's it's designed to empower crew members to take action if their partner is not able to perform their duties properly. So if a co-pilot notices that the captain is confused or overwhelmed mid-flight, you know, even if that person is their superior, they can say, hey, I'm issuing a challenge. We need to do this. We need to adjust this. And if the co-pilot gets no response, he or she can ask again. If there's still no response, the co-pilot is allowed to take control of the aircraft. Um... You know, and it's interesting because it's not about the impressions. There is a system in place. It's not about their status. It's not about how the pilot feels about them. There's a system in place to say, here's a check and balance to what's happening um, right now, physically to us on our jobs, which is, you know, which which essentially um, requires that we, you know, that we, we put our lives in our own hands. So, I mean, I think that, I think that kind of making space for that is, and having, you know, having real policies that can, can reinforce that people can be speaking up about things, giving people a voice, giving them a moment where it, you know, where it's only relevant, but required that you, you know, are accountable, whether or not you're standing at the front of the ship, right? (laughs) Like you're accountable. Um, And that's not personal. You know, like I'm bringing forth, as I get older, I realize how important it is that we work together. That that sounds, sounds weird, but that we all make a choice. When, when I was younger, it was like the amorphous, I have a job and I, I work for, this newspaper or I work for, you know, it's a job. But as I've gotten older, 
you know, there's a collective agreement that we're all going to work together. For sure, some, you know, I'm getting paid, somebody's the owner, there are stakeholders and shareholders and whatever. But, you know, there are other jobs out there. So without these mechanisms in place, if the if the environment is toxic, I, you know, I give it a while, but then I'm going to start looking because I I would like to be in a place where I feel supported, where I agree with the mission, where I do all these things. And I just, to excuse a toxic work culture, which is what happens a lot in like, you know, oh, this job is so glamorous. So, you know, don't ask real questions. Right. You know, I, I just see the, the, the relationships we have to each other as I've gotten older and, and have teams that I, I, it's, we all do choose to work at these places, and, you know? Right. Right. No, and, we do. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think creating, creating a culture that can really, it's hard. It's hard. like, we're, we don't go into these organizations looking for, you know, right. how, how, how open and, and vulnerable can I be in this culture without being penalized? That's not usually the first thing we look at when we're looking. Um, Very good point. Right. At a job. But, you know, I think I might have mentioned this to listeners before, but one of my favorite stories or studies that, that I think is just so, is, is so telling. Um, did I tell you the story, Jennifer, about the Ursa oil rig and the men, no. the, the, the vulnerable. Are you telling our listeners things and not telling, not sharing with me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been talking so much. Um, so, <laughs> what's interesting was so Shell um, in 1997, Shell Oil Company. Um, they well, they started going from well earlier in the 1990s. 90s, they started going from you know just kind of surface surface oil rigs to like well below the surface, like 3,000 feet below the surface of the Gulf. Um, and so it was a, when they, when they went to go build it, they knew this was going to be more dangerous than anything that they had built before. Um, they knew that there was more risks to safety, right? So they had all these, yeah. these oil rig workers, people who'd been doing this for a very long time, these men, and they said, you know, they were trying to figure out what could they, you know, how could they make this, how could they get more team cohesion? How could they create a sense of safety? And skipping a couple steps here, basically, um, they decided that the way that they were going to make this place safer is to help these workers become more transparent and open with each other about what was going on and creating almost like a culture of transparency and vulnerability um, within, within like this oil rig culture and seeing if it had a, an impact on safety. Um, and they, and so after, you know, they got these guys talking about their lives, their opinions, maybe about the workforce, but also, you know, once you start getting someone to speak vulnerably or, you know, in a very candid way about their life, like there, you know, there are other implications of that. Um, to how, how work gets done, but that effort, re- uh, contributed to an 84% decline in Shell's accident rate. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's, cr- you know, people, it's, I think it's just so important because you, 
you know, one of the workers said that it built a new kind of person. He's one of the Urso workers, and he wrote yeah. um, Floyd Guidry. It blew, uh, built a new kind of person, maybe not a f- new physical man, but a new mental man. Interesting. Like, so, but I yeah. think it's just, it's fascinating. I think we, you know, when I've talked to folks about whether it's parental leave or just work life stuff that we talk about bringing work and life together, like we, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that um, those aren't meant to mix and you're not supposed to be as, you know, as transparent and you're not supposed to bring pieces of your life to work. But the truth is, you know, in this very, very clear example, the truth is that when we do and we're more transparent about what we think and feel, we're going to, you know, Presumably, yeah. and I don't know exactly what happened. What happened on that oil rig? But somebody was ready to to speak up, right? Being able to admit mistakes and being open to learning and saying, you know what, I can't. You know, let's say a guy is talking about his his you know his upbringing and challenges he had in his family, and then suddenly he's got to pick up this piece of equipment that's really heavy. He might be more inclined to say, "Hey, I'm. Re- this is really." <laughs> Can you help me if he knows? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's a and really- then the guy to him said, yeah, you know, well, this day you, we're bonding over these stories. Maybe that guy will help him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, and shouldn't our workplaces, I, a lot of uh, my career has been working in places where uh, you should, you should be uh, happy you even got in the door. You know, yeah, like yeah, newspapers, yeah. it's a calling. And and it is. I mean, oh, my God, these poor reporters that hang on to their jobs with their fingernails. Um, uh, the glamour of magazines, uh, the hip, hipness of like working for uh, uh, rising websites and digital properties and cool videos. And you get to be on TV and you do all this and that it that like you should be grateful you even got in the door kind of thinking engenders a lot of it's it's a lot a lot of bad behavior to continue and a that's terrible but b like you really uh hey employers you really don't want these problems brought forth on instagram and twitter you know i mean hot because that's where it's coming you you've got a uh, and now I'm going to sound like the old lady. You've got a highly digital social workforce. The millennials are are flooding the zone now, and they are connected. I am connected, going up through Gen Gen X. I mean, it, we're all connected now, and we see it. And and when when they are not listened to, we are not listened to. Uh, we may take these concerns to the public, and and the public will decide you know, what was appropriate and what was not. And you've lost all chance to, A, keep your dirty laundry inside and make a stronger work culture, you know, uh, and also save yourself some from some freaking embarrassment. Right. Oh, now I'm getting mad. But, you get, yeah. <laughs> you're but you're, you're cultures, preaching. Yeah. Preaching to the, I am, oh, um, that these cultures – it should be strong enough. You know, I know that that like, especially if you've had like a history of bad behavior in your company, um, the initial part of this would be probably pretty painful, you know, to have to listen to people say, no, this is awful. You know, you've done some terrible things when it comes to treating people like, you know, respectfully and, and like 
anti-black behavior or anti-anything behavior that goes yeah. on in this office. But I do, you know, aren't we stronger, you know, when we're like, we can help each other pick up the heavy equipment yeah. when, when we're working together. I just, Oh my God. And it just, it, because I, my thing is I give you some time and then I'm going to start looking because I, if I don't have the status to change an entire culture, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, if you get exhausted protecting your teams yeah. or, or the like. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And, and yes, I'm speaking from experience. You know, you can only do it for so long. And then it's like, I got to save myself. I'm going to go find another place. But you're so right. You know, you can't, you don't go into the interview saying, so if I have a problem with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what, what, what I think is so fundamental is like, you know, how do we how do we make organizations that, you know, obviously the two, um, two challenge rule is fantastic. The idea of like helping workers talk about their, their inner lives and, and seeing an an improvement in safety. That's fantastic. But, you know, I, I think how do you, what there's, those are two different, different pieces. One is a policy and one is sort of a practice of speaking up. And so how do you, how do you create those and how do you reinforce um, with HR, with, you know, with leadership within the organization, hiring managers, like the people of power. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, how do you, how do you make sure that they, that they know that they're aware of, um, of what's going on and that they're willing to kind of step up when it is called to their attention. I feel like that, that's a really, really challenging thing. And I think, you know, it, it requires that leadership and, and, you know, the people who are oversee people management can really be reflective about what they, what they need to be thinking about, what they need to take seriously. Right. Yeah. And being in, and, and uh, we, we should do a whole episode on this, but being uh, not only a, uh, a protocol for feedback, but also how to accept it. You know, <laughs> I am not asking for a friend. I'm totally just admitting, you know, getting feedback, you know, critical feedback, like constructive feedback is who, who likes that? Who says, yeah. I don't know. Maybe there are, maybe it's, it's just me that like, Oh, it's painful. So yeah. So, well, <laughs> thank you for offering that <laughs> critical constructive feedback to me on the breadwinners. Um, you will find links to everything we discussed today in the episode description, wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit, visit us anytime at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com to ask a question, offer some feedback, share your story. How are you making it work? We'd love to know. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review it. Let us know what you think about the breadwinners. Help us tell the stories that mean the most to you. And until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices. Amplified.